Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today, I have another special guest, a uh, friend and fellow Meisner Technique um, alumni. And uh, yeah, Faina Cherdak, uh, welcome. Thank you so much, George. I'm really excited to be here. Happy to have you. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, I just wanted to start talking like, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your childhood as a neurodistinct person and just how that was, like, in general. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Uh, That's a pretty loaded question Um, because uh, I was very clearly neurodistinct at a very young age. Um, I'm also a very emotional person. I may just get emotional throughout, so that's just a little warning. Um, yeah, uh, I, well, just a little background, I grew up in a, you know, a very traditional Ukrainian Jewish household, um, meaning, you know, my parents were fresh off the boat, um, immigrants with refugee status in the 90s, um, they both had me at a young age. They came with a very Soviet mindset. You know, if you're mentally ill, then you might as well be in an institution. Mm. Otherwise, you know, are you, is anything really wrong with you unless you're so clearly, you know, unwell? Mm. Um, and it's interesting because me and my cousin, who uh, were born in the same year, um, he's a male, and he um, also had disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just growing up we would I would he was like my best friend we were little and you know the way we would communicate I kid you not was just full-on full-blown laugh attacks that was just what made us happy and and really there was nothing we were laughing at it just was such a like dopamine high it was just so stimulating for both of us and we just do silly things and like no matter what I mean, we'd look at him and we'd die laughing um, and that later translated in my, um, you know, later years, um, you know, uh, grade school, I would always act out. I would always just try to talk and laugh and, um, mainly because, you know, there were a lot of obstacles in my way. You know, there was, um, the fact that my first language was didn't really understand the kids and they, they kind of judged me for that and. I didn't really understand the cultures that I was growing up in because I was trying, they were trying to maintain a certain culture at home. So I would always get, you know, every single class I've been in, even college, there was a class that I was threatened to be kicked out of. Mm. Every single class I was kicked out of. Hands down, no questions asked. Every single class I can tell you the teachers that kicked me out. I can tell you the feelings I had. And honestly, even when I got kicked out, I thought it was hilarious. Like I could not stop laughing behind the door. Uh, because for me, laughter was freedom. Yeah. And a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it made sense because I I had a real disability of learning. Um, and because of that, I would act out in class because I was like, you know, even if I did understand the hint of it, it would go too fast that I, I'd be like, okay, I'm lost, I'm really bored, yeah. I'm not stimulated. There were just a lot of things I'd do as a kid, you know, if I really had to be quiet, if I was really threatened by a teacher, which happened a lot, I'd be like, take Elmer's glue and, like, glue my hands until they dried and, like, peel them, like, color on my desk. Like, I'd do anything to keep myself, you know, uh, busy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
So I can say a lot about my childhood, honestly. Um, but if you have any specific questions, feel free to ask. Yeah, um, I think, like, touching on, like, school, especially, like, you were just touching a little bit, like, maybe especially, like, early on, um, I mean, I'm, how, I think, uh, I also wanted to ask about masking, I think, because I think that's when most of us start masking, especially, um, females, um, and so, like, what was your experience? Because, of course, like, I do this myself now, kind of thinking back on experiences I had in school. Um, like, when I, now I can realize, I'm like, oh, I was masking back then. And I had no idea that I was masking. And, and now I realize, and, um, you know, it was, it was also pretty relatable for me. I mean, um, when you were talking about, the being overstimulated and, and, you know, the teachers, um, just not understanding that, um, and just how the way, like how certain things have to be done certain ways, like, cause I have a certain style of typing, um, and I can do it pretty well. I can do it pretty fast, but it's not like the typical normative way of doing it. And I remember I had this class in school once where you had to do it like, you had to do it the typical way that they wanted you to do it. And I was like, but why? But I, it works so much better the way I do it, like, for me. But it was like, and then it was all about, but if you want to be in this and this and that, so. Um, and then uh, it was just, I was remembering um, about note-taking also. Because, um, like, you know... Uh, it would be like, for me, if I spend too much attention, uh, like trying to, to take notes of everything that's being like written and then it gets erased and you have to do it. And it's like, I'm not actually absorbing what's being taught. Um, so yeah, that, that anyways, um, I, I went on, I technically, no, no, I love that. I, I hear it all and I relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. system, the school system, mm -hmm. which I know is being touched on, um, and also just parenting, you know, if you can see that your kids have a problem, uh, which I wish my parents would acknowledge, I actually reached out to them, I was like, my friend so-and-so has ADHD, I think I have something, mm -hmm. like, pretty intense, you know, that was, you know, that was always dismissed, that I was always like, you know, you're, nothing's wrong with you, type thing, you're just a happy, hilarious kid, you know, that's, mm -hmm. You know, but I was really struggling, and my teachers would see that, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't advocate for me, they wouldn't, like, reach out to my yeah. parents, and, and also they wouldn't alter their teaching style. Yeah. You know, I never worked, I could never, even sometimes when it was interactive, I just, I needed someone, I needed more attention one-on-one, -on -one, which would have been hard for me to, to concentrate, but I just needed to know that I can do it, because up until the point of, like, you know, upper division college... I did not believe in myself. I, I literally did not retain any information. I was just in classes just to attend, and I, I somehow made it. You know, I wasn't held back ever, but, um, you know, I, I guess I was in some ways smart enough to, like, pass, but, you know, not um, supported enough to do well. Mm. Um, and I don't want to call it smart enough. I just, I guess it was just survival. Like, somehow yeah. I wasn't got through things. Mm -hmm. But it is traumatizing. 
and I think the most traumatizing thing about it is, uh, I mean, school stuff is traumatizing, but for me, I never really masked in, in classes and in school. I couldn't because I was just so confused all the time because like I, I would, I needed to learn a completely different language. And I, when I would come home trying to practice, my parents would be like, you need to speak Russian. Um, and I was just so, God, how, how are we on swearing? Am I allowed to swear again? You can swear. You can swear. Yeah. Sweet. I was so fucking confused growing yeah. up, like, all the time. And I think that translates into my adulthood, too. I mean, I'm more honest about, you know, my experiences. But I didn't really mask in school, mm-hmm. but I did. I was so hyper-focused on what made people want to be friends with me. I was mm-hmm. so obsessed yeah. with personalities mm-hmm. and understanding why I couldn't fit in. You know, I understood that nobody could understand my culture. I was teased. I was made fun of. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't fit into the, you know, high class, um, you know, high economy uh, people. Like, I, mm-hmm. I just... Yeah. I, I can relate. Because yeah. I went to a school that was very, like, preppy and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of snobby people and, and this very class thing. Like, everyone wanted to be lawyers and, you know, executives and everything. And, and that's what um, the school was, like, conditioning them to do. And so, like, of course, you know, I would have already probably stood out a little bit at any school. But, like, you know, a shy outcast, like, that at that kind of school... Um, no. Yeah, no, it was not a good environment. No. Yeah. No, it's it's I think the you know, the relationship aspect of growing up was much more traumatizing than I thought. Um, I had thought that I was like a fun kid and you know, but I had dedicated my life to masking. Masking, you know, even my body because I was always overweight, so I was like hyper focused on like what people liked, and I was always, because I went to small Jewish um, institutions because my parents wanted me to, like, learn to be Jewish because they weren't allowed to be Jewish in Ukraine. Um, and, wow, I forgot my thought. <laughs> Sorry, but they need to hear it. Yeah, so I'm just, like, totally thinking about something else while I was talking. Um, yeah. Jeez, what was I saying? <laughs> you were talking about... Um your your family uh and being because you guys were were jewish and when you were going to school early on you know what i might just have to drop that thought that's something i have to learn because i get so frustrated i I like spend my day thinking of the thought but you know i just have to let something it's okay (laughs) you just have to go from the gut sometimes right yeah exactly yeah um, I do wonder though for you, you know, what was your, uh, what was your experience like masking with people? So it started, well, when I was in school, you know, I, I would just, it started, you know, I was going to say that I could really relate to what I, um, I was relating to what you were saying about like studying other people, because I think that that was the very first thing for me, like how it started was, um, I would, I would study the behaviors of other people really intensely and, but what are they doing? When do they laugh? When do they pause? You know, when do they look away? When do they have to stay engaged? And then I would try to replicate that. Um, and, you know, I would like try to not stim cause I would stim a lot. 
I would do this stim. Like even my family didn't really understand what it was and why I did it. And like my sister, she would talk. She talks about oh, she used to stop me from doing it. Um, and you know, I would so I would suppress that, and I would like try to put on a certain face and look a certain way. Um, and then yeah, like just I think as I got older, like. Not just in school situations, but out there, like the whole, um, like not knowing how to end when to end a conversation with someone, because I'll be like at, um, so my dad's a photographer and he would have like uh, showings for his photos, and so I would go to like this showing and this opening, and like there's a bunch of people that I don't know. Um, and I, and they were just like, there's this whole emphasis, like the, the neurotypical small talk. Um, and, uh, and I just like, I'll be talking to like this person that's like this older guy, you know, and it's just the conversation isn't going anywhere, you know, and I'm, and then that's when I'm masking really hard, like trying the face and this, the, the eye contact and, and, you know, when do I smile when do, oh, I have to like he said something that he's expecting me to smile at or laugh at or whatever. Um, and then it's like, how do I get out of this conversation with this person? I'm like, I don't, because there's just nothing we don't, it's this older guy that just thinks he has to make small talk with me. And then I'm like, okay, I have to talk to him. And we don't know each other. And it's like, we have, I don't know, it was just like, um, like that kind of, those kind of situations. And then forcing myself to stay in that situation. Because that's what I would do. I would be like, I, I would like, I would just freeze and not know what to do. And then that's also what the, the technique, the Meisner technique was so helpful with, um, was, you know, just being free with like being yourself and calling those moments and being like you're confusing me I don't know what to say uh what you know why are you being like this or uh instead of just being because because I had that actual teaching hap teaching happen in class where um where I would freeze initially and then our teacher would correct that and then I would I would it was just so much more freeing and it like because that's what Maeve and I talked about as well, was like yeah. the whole unmasking journey. So, yeah, how was the, the Meisner training for you? Like how, the whole, because I know it's a two-year journey and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like everything, I have so much to say. But I'll just kind of, you know, talk about how it started for me. I was, I just get extremely nervous extremely anxious about new things but I know that that's um what helps me grow and I know in my heart that like certain things that I I set a goal to see I know will make me better and I just knew in my heart that this was the right thing for me to do so I came in extremely eager and anxious so excited so ready to work and once the Meisner technique really started to unfold, I was so excited because it was a way to channel my ADHD to the max. Mm. You know, the calling out moments, I was a menace. I yeah. was like, I didn't let anyone talk. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you're mad. You're, you just, you just like touched your nose. What is that? You know, like it was for me, it was like, I can actually let my thoughts loose. Yeah. And I was just like having so much fun. 
I am ready. Like, I want to do moment to moment work with everyone I know all the time. Yeah. Oh, we should do moment to moment work because I haven't done moment to moment work in a while. And I was just thinking about how rusty, yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. I'd love to do moment to moment work with you because I think we feed each other so well. Yeah. Uh, because I call out every single one of your moments and you'd be so truthful about yeah. how it makes you feel. And, um, however, you know, the, I will say though that the memorization and the preparation aspects mm-hmm. were daunting for me truly treacherous in a way that like i am i will do whatever it takes to get it done because i care about this craft so much Mm -hmm. but the focus of that yeah how about activities how was that for you activities were pretty fun um there were times where where i'd have like a quote-unquote prize spell i wouldn't know what to do um i wouldn't like or, or not advice, but like as writer's mm-hmm. block in some way. Yeah, because I had that a lot with activities. Um, and I just wish that, because there's some of these things like, you know, like with activities especially, because I guess memorization, I was lucky. I I had an okay time with it. Usually like starting, was it was always difficult. Like um, it was always tough especially the first couple scenes and then like when you start memorizing but then after that I was I did okay um preparation I think especially early on it was it was hard for me to really lock into and um you know it was helpful like Jim Jim did help me um Jim is our teacher for those that don't know um Jim would help me like come up with different scenarios and stuff and even link it to like maybe personal things that I had experienced and it it did help me a little bit but then it's also like there are some things like I think the most challenging thing for me for sure in the training was um was the activities coming up with an activity constantly like you would be doing uh, especially early on, I think you'd be you'd have to have an activity like every class, like every three days. You had to come up with something new that you was compelling, difficult, urgent, and you can buy into. And it was just like I know everyone would struggle, but sometimes I feel like maybe, um, you know, being autistic and having executive dysfunction, um, was really making it extra hard for me. Um, and Jim, I know he was always very accommodating. Like if you came to him with something and said, you know, I have this going on, I need this support or this accommodation, he would usually accommodate. But like, I wish that I knew more about what, what exactly my struggle was and what I needed accommodations with. Because at the time, and I had told him early on at this point, already I think it was first year still that um maybe second or third session um then I told him um about being autistic um and I might have still been using the term Asperger's at the time that's how little I knew um I mean it's what I was diagnosed with but like no one had told me that it's like don't use that anymore and yeah um and um and all that's all I said that it was like that's why I was struggling with like it was also because I why I was struggling with activities and I remember he asked me what about your being autistic is is making you struggle and 
now you see if this were today I would be able to answer that right off the bat like executive dysfunction because I can't you know think of this of these things and come up with it and maybe he would have maybe he would have come up with like an, an accommodation that I didn't get at the time because I just didn't know how to voice how to how to ask for it how to voice exactly what I needed and why um, so yeah that was very interesting um, but you know it worked out it worked out in the end and it was good it was good because it, now I know um, um, I still wouldn't I mean now I guess I would be able to advocate for like I need accommodations with this but I wouldn't want to have to go through like like if there's one thing about the training that was like something I definitely didn't like so much I think even more than memorizing was probably activities yeah yeah I can imagine that would be really difficult um I think for me, activities, I think it was actually pretty exciting in the beginning because I was like, I had so many ideas. Um, one thing that I was like always really good at that I like fully understood in college was like brainstorming. Like mm -hmm. I'm a flowing machine and I think probably like not typically so. Like I could endlessly keep saying things that need but, like, you know, once you're in it, like, I got pretty drained at some points. Um, for me, the memorization, I think, was the toughest because it's just, like, it's it's so tedious. It's It, like, makes me want to rip my hair out in some ways. Like, I, I, I was, I would, like, I, I, wait, that's the first thing I would think of is, like, I have this script to memorize. And it's, like, I just, it's so hard for me. Because I, I was actually, I always struggled with reading, too. Mm. And I'd always get... Something that I get stressed about in the future of, of my acting career is, you know, table reads. Mm. <laughs> like, freak the fuck out. Mm. Thinking about, like, sitting in a room with actors who are probably, like, well-spoken. I mean, I, I'm a well-spoken person, yeah. but when it comes to reading, I stumble, I stutter, I question myself. I, I, It's not very linear for me. I, like, I like don't process what I'm reading until I've read it, like, 15 times, honestly. Um, so the script is, it's not just about memorization, but it's about memorizing what everything means to, because memorizing words is like, I could read a book and, and literally not pay attention. Like, you know, when I, when I couldn't remember what I was saying, it's because I started to think about two other things and I was like, I'm sorry, I completely lost what just happened. Um, so for me, activities were like, I had my draining moments and I had my moments of like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but my favorite thing about that was I, I just brought in a lot of my chores and a lot of the things I needed to do because I struggled to do that on my own. So I would like bring in laundry sorted, I'd like go through clothes and sort it, mm. I'd like clean things, I'd Yeah. I'd, mm -hmm. That so was, was helpful too. Like yeah. I, I think I did realize at one point like chores and just like activities that you would need to do around the house can yeah. be helpful. Um I think I did I did do some activities around that. Um and yeah, like I another thing cuz you know now now you were talking about um you know your struggles with with reading and you know being able to really process something it really takes a while. Um I I can also relate to that uh cuz like I feel like I wouldn't have 
especially during the moment-to-moment work, I would struggle sometimes because I wouldn't have that reaction. Like, if someone was saying something to me, sometimes I wouldn't react right away. Like, um, most people most people would, or I would maybe make a face that didn't really correspond to what I was feeling because um, I'm still processing. Because I'm like, I, I just need to process. And so I guess that's like it made me think a little bit. That's one thing, maybe another thing that I would add, like if I were going through the training now, knowing what I know now, that's another thing that I could let everyone know. Like it's sometimes I, I need more time to process. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. She also has ADHD, so she actually responds really fast. Mm-hmm. But then processes things and is like, wait, what did I just say? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and my cousin would, I think he enjoy learning about moment to moment, and I think he mm-hmm. really enjoyed doing things like that, even though he's not a, I mean, he's autistic engineering wise, he loves to argue that. <laughs> but, um, you know, moment to moment for him, I can, he, he would definitely need time to process. And, mm, and something mm-hmm. I would like to teach him is like, you can, it even takes time to process saying, I need to process this. Yeah, exactly. Like, Cause that's, that's what happened to me. Right. Exactly. Cause yeah. I, I couldn't just be like, Oh, you're confusing me. I need, and then it got better. I like, I started yeah. like I, with time, it would, it would just come more naturally. But like, even the, in the beginning, even to say, you're confusing me. I don't understand. It it was like there's a delay. Yeah. yeah. I really commend you for that because that is so hard. That is so hard. Um, my partner isn't on the spectrum, but he he does take a lot of time to process and he can't mm-hmm. respond right away. So I've learned because the the difference between autism and ADHD yeah. is like the impatience and then the need for processing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned to yeah. uh, hold a lot of space and patience to let yeah. my partner process and, you know, mm-hmm. because I am probably overwhelming with the things I want to say, but, you know, I know it comes from a place of love and yeah. understanding. So, yeah, and, and I have a problem with taking things personally, but I think being in a relationship with someone who needs extra time to process, um, things we talk about and, and the things, my needs and, and certain things, mm-hmm. you know, it just takes patience and, and, and really a lot of communication. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think understanding each other's forms of communication too, like, because that's a big thing with the the change that's happening with the discord around autism now is like it for so long it was focused and unfortunately in a lot of places it still is focused on making autistics understand or learn neurotypical ways. But there's just it usually doesn't go the other way, and now it's really starting to go both ways. Right, and, and that's what I love about this podcast. Yeah, I, thank you. I, I am. I just, I'm, I'm, you know how we have had like obsessive um, interests. Mine is a hundred percent like just mental health and mm-hmm. um, diagnoses and just understanding people that I gravitate to the most and more yeah. than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel safest with neurodivergent, neurodistinct Me too. individuals. Yeah. And I, I've really realized that actually in my recent years, mm-hmm. past couple of years, 
that I, the friends that I have left from like high school and college, they're neurodivergent. Yeah. They're not mm-hmm. typical. Yeah. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a connection that we all have, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's the neurodistinct connection, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were you were talking a little bit about special interests, like that's definitely a big thing for me. Um, I have my big special interests are weather and aviation. Um, yeah, and so weather specifically. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with. Um, having spent a lot of time in the Bay Area in San Francisco where you have microclimates uh, in the summer and um, even in the winter like with rain but it's a little different Um, uh, but especially in the summer like 55 degrees at Ocean Beach and 70 degrees in the Mission Yeah. I, I oh like my gosh. It's just so random. Yeah. It's so random. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. Like I started getting really interested in like understanding why it happens and you know, so I would read all about, you know, the marine layer and the that the fog and how it how it actually comes like the air. Now I'll do a little bit of an info dump. Um yes. oh, the air the warm moist air comes all the way from Hawaii and it's because the the waters are so cold along the the coast of California specifically not just because there's a cold uh, current but because there's upwelling what we call upwelling and that's because the way that the atmospheric pressure systems are set up um there's like a big high pressure system that sits to our west in the summer and there's low pressure from to over the central valley because the the hot the hot air rises you know hot air usually forms low pressure cold air usually forms high pressure and so the winds uh they end up because of the i mean then i would have to i would get into all these specifics about the coriolis effect and the winds and everything but basically the winds are t- generally blowing northwest like west northwest and so they're blowing off they end up blowing off of the the hills by the coast and so they kind of shave off the um over time they'll shave off the surface layer of water which is warmer and and as they shave off that surface layer uh deeper colder water is upwelled up um, to the surface and so it gets like we'll have like 50 52 degree water temperatures in July which sometimes is colder than the temperatures in December the water temperatures um, which is very interesting and so because it's so cold the the moist air coming from Hawaii instantly condenses on and it forms this huge swath of fog um, like along the coastline over the water and then the wind because it's so hot inland the pressure difference really intensifies the wind especially through the golden gate bridge and so you'll see that finger of fog shooting through the bridge and then it shoots through the coastal gaps also wherever there's a little gap in, in the mountains um you'll see it it kind of either flowing over it um 
because it also happens like when the marine layer when the weather there's like a weather system to the north it'll it'll deepen sometimes so the clouds will actually go over the hill but a lot of times they stack up against the hills but you see them shooting through the gaps which is very interesting um so yeah it's fascinating you know it's like there's my little info dump um but um thank you It's like it would always, um, like when I would talk to other, because I started like, so I also lived in Brazil um, for a while, and Sao Paulo has very interesting weather also because it's a different way, but it'll be like 90 degrees one day, um, and then the next, the cold front will come in, and Sao Paulo is like maybe 2,000 feet elevation or something, um, but it's also pretty close to the water. Um, so it can get pretty chilly compared to most places in Brazil. It's also further south. Um, and it'll, the next day it'll be 60 degrees. Like it was just 90 the day before and now it's 60. Um, and everyone, and especially, you know, cause it doesn't get to 60 as often or 50 as often in Sao Paulo. So people will have these huge coats and stuff. Um, and uh, and like the, the, the day before, it was super hot. We were all sweating and running the fans and everything. Um, so like that was really fascinating to me too. And then um, I audited, um, I audited, I, like when I was 16, I started auditing meteorology classes at the University of Sao Paulo. Um, and of course the teacher was like, super like oh my god like this 16 year old kid wants to come audit my class about meteorology like a college level meteorology class because he was I could tell I could sense the excitement you know because then I studied meteorology at uh, SFSU as well when I came here and um it was I mean yeah it was also stressful because of the whole school system and how it's not really adapted for neurodivergence and everything but it was really cool to see how these teachers in the meteorology field would get so excited when it was like I would come to them like I I want to be a meteorologist at the time um and uh I mean you know I'm still interested in weather but like just to see oh my god like he's so young and he has such this passion but I think especially back then when I was auditing at 16 um, and that was really cool because, you know, a lot of times it wouldn't be, I don't think there was ever a time that people really told me or, you know, that people were like annoyed or anything when I would go on an info dump about weather, but I could tell that people were just like confused or they wouldn't get it. And it's interesting that I have this special interest in weather because weather is something that a lot of people use 
as small talk. Yes. And, yes. and so people would be doing it as small talk or worse, like, I would start talking about the weather as because for me, the weather was like the thing that I actually want to talk about. And I'm, I want to go on this info dump and, and go on this ride. And and they're thinking I'm doing it for small talk or they're doing it for small talk. And they're like, oh, yeah, it was it was chilly today. And I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because the cold Arctic front had just come down. And so the jet stream is going, it's kind of shifting north now. And so we have the Arctic oscillation and the Pacific oscillation is going to force the cold air this way, and then they start <laughs> their face, you know, they're just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? That's know. like the best way to spot someone that is neurodistinct. I mm -hmm. feel like anytime, well, I, I do things a little differently. Um, when somebody asks me, like, you know, what's up, I'm, I tell them exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which. They're, they're, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll mask and I'll be like, it's good because I just mm -hmm. need to focus on what yeah. I'm doing, like getting somewhere. But usually I'll be like, not so great, you know? Yeah. Like, I'll just honestly. I like that. I like that because that's been, that's something that's always like, there's another masking thing. Like, since I was younger, um, it was always bizarre to me, like this whole like asking how are, when you would go into a store and people are, how are you today? How are you doing today? And then sometimes I wasn't great. Sometimes some, something was on my head, I, you know had some kind of discussion with my parents or something. I don't know, like something at school maybe. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not great. And I would always feel, because I knew that it was like, you're supposed to say you're good. Um, it was like this code or whatever. And and then it would, I think maybe there was there were a couple times that I said, uh, I don't know, I'm okay. And then they were just, they're like thrown off. They're like, they the, what there's an error like it didn't go as it was supposed to um right. and then it's also i mean it, it it's like you know all these societal things like and some of them makes me put make me pretty sad because it's like sometimes people will get surprised um like if i'm in an uber or something or i don't know like i'll ask them like oh no they'll, they'll ask me how are you and i'll be like i'm good how are you uh, and they're they're thrown off by that because they're not used to getting asked how they are because yeah 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 mm -hmm. I, I relate to that sometimes I actually like to ask them how they are before they ask me yeah because I, I mm -hmm. want to show them that I care yeah so, yeah it's it's most people you know how are you equals hello and, and it's, yeah it never will but mm -hmm. I also you know I I have I did this neurotypical yeah
like I love to isolate and be by mm-hmm. myself and then I fall into a bit of a depression but mm. um I love to just uh wow I forgot my thought again you're talking <laughs> about <laughs> yeah it happens with me too you know I noticed and I think because actually recently I've started to suspect that I might have both autism and ADHD um and apparently it is pretty common and so I even brought it up with my therapist I was like you know do you think because she's more neurodiversity affirming and everything and apparently she has a lot of family that is neurodistinct so that's why um and she was like you know there's actually a lot of overlap um in and so and she even told me something that I hadn't realized and I don't know if this is how it is in Brazil because I was diagnosed there but um she said that a lot of practitioners won't if they diagnose you with one they won't bother to diagnose you with the yes. other yeah mm-hmm. um that's very true yeah uh yeah there's i mean me and my cousin we unfortunately we don't really speak the same like second language sometimes he's very mathematical and i'm very creative and social mm-hmm. and uh we do overlap because the way he likes to study personalities is MBTI, and I like to just observe and, like, talk to people and understand mm-hmm. them. Um, I like MBTI, but he's, like, super focused on, like, you know, the sub, the sub stacks and the sub functions. Or what is MBTI, exactly? Uh, the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you have to take for work and stuff a lot to understand, like, are you extroverted? Are you thinking? Yeah, I've heard about that, yeah. Intuitive or, mm-hmm. or um, sensory or something. Mm-hmm. sensory processing disorder as well definitely i mean i'm a mm-hmm. very loud person i know i hurt people's ears and i i take it personally when people are like can you feel over quiet but i totally understand i i like it i like this style of talking it's neurodistinct style i like it thank you yes but like if somebody's talking really loud and i'm not expecting it i'm like fuck someone chopped my head off like i'm, I'm a pretty dark person i make dark jokes but um, that's another thing that i love about neurodistinct people yeah like just honestly bury me I know, yeah, I know, because it's, because neurotypical is like, they're so, it drives me kind of crazy, they're like so, they're like, oh my god, I can't say this, I can't say that, and it's to such an extreme sometimes, it's like, you know, like, oh my god, I remember this with my class, with like, we were trying to organize like a get-together or something, Um, and so Christina and I, you know, Christina, even though she's not neurodistinct, She's um very, you know, like, okay, let's do the she'll say what she feels and you know, let's let's plan this. And then no one and we were trying to decide on the restaurant and like no one practically no one would respond or say something in the group because everyone's just kinda walking on eggshells, like everyone's just kinda like 
waiting for for someone else to say something and but it's like Christina and I were like the only two people out of eight or nine that were like trying to like make this work and then it was just like it ended up working out fine but it was just it made me think about how neurotypicals are like they just don't they're so afraid of like deviating from the right like you know the politically correct or whatever it is that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yes, just be honest. It's so much better. Yeah. It's like we feel the shit. Mm-hmm. We feel like in different ways, of course, but like we feel when something's off and like it makes us uncomfortable and be like overthink and then. Yeah. That's what happens a lot. Yeah. And that's another, yeah, like um, overthinking it and oh, did I say something like, was it. Did I should I have said this a different way? Did I say it this way? And this just reminds me about masking, um, and also to do with processing. Is like I'll have an interaction with someone, um, and then I'll be like thinking about that interaction, like for the next ten or fifteen minutes, or I'm just still processing that interaction, and I'm playing it back in my head. And then maybe I go to talk to someone else, and I'm trying to be engaged with them, but I just can't. Because I'm like still processing. Totally. totally. Okay. I do think you have a little bit of ADHD. I yeah. love to diagnose people. Yeah. I know it's wrong, but like I do it from a place of like excitement. I'm yeah. Like, oh my God, we can share stuff. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. Um, like right now, I'm 100% motherfucking fixated on the fact that I couldn't remember two things that I was talking about. Like it'll haunt me tonight. It will. I just like, yeah. you know, I was so nervous about this interview because of that mm-hmm. reason. I was like, I really hope I don't forget what I'm saying while I'm saying it. Because mm-hmm. mostly when I do that, it's because I'm excited about something. Mm-hmm. But it's good. Excitement is good. And then it, it can, it, you know, you never know if it'll come up again later. And then it's also like a teaching from our training. Like, don't be good, be fearless, which is hard to exactly. always apply. And I still have to remind myself a lot also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it'll happen sometimes when I'm having a conversation, even in the same conversation with one specific person, they'll say something that's like really captivating to me. And then I'll be thinking about what they're just saying. And then I'll lose track of what they're continuing. Like, cause, oh yeah, I think that, yeah, like oh it gosh. happens a lot with me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask you something? Sure. Because this is another thing that I feel like really overlaps with me as a neurodistinct individual and others, uh, specifically on the autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to call it a spectrum, but that have autism. Um, mental breakdowns. Just breakdowns. Meltdowns. meltdowns. Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy meltdowns. I've always had them. Like, I, yes. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I have I have meltdowns too. I, and I it's better now that I can identify them. Um, and like I can sense them coming um, and so a lot of times not always but a lot of times I'll be able to kind of stop it right before it yeah. happens 
and it's been really helpful like just understanding what they are and why they happen because and it's something that makes me kind of bummed too like it makes me wish that I knew about them sooner um because it would always get mislabeled as tantrum not even tantrums but like you know just like breakdowns or whatever like it would purely and you know like even with my family and not any not because not like with any mal intent it's because they just didn't know um as i didn't know um that we were there was a reason like a sensory or emotional stimuli behind the meltdown um and that it's not something that we can control it's not behavior related and that's just like I think it falls back because, you know, like, neuronormatively, we are expected to, you know, it is, there is so much focus on behavior. And then that's, like, all these behavior therapies, like, geared toward, like, it's just so sad how, like, there's still so many therapies that are geared towards, like, fixing neurodistinct people. And people don't even realize. And there'll be people that I'll talk to, like, you know, I have a friend. I have a friend that's like studying to be an occupational therapist, and she had actually started working with ABA a little bit. And then I had the kind of like very politely, and I'm always very careful, and I'm not trying to attack. And it's also because a lot of people, you know, they do these things with good intent. Um, and for a lot of people, it is the only option. So there's also that. Um, but, you know, I very politely try, you know, I was like, hey, you know, it can be kind of problematic. A lot of us don't like it because of this. And then I, you know, shared some neurodiversity resources with her. Um, I directed her to some neurodiverse, uh, neurodivergent and, um, yeah, like uh, practitioners and therapists and, you know, like people professionals like uh that are in the same field as her that are that are like more neurodiversity affirming um and yeah you know it's just now I'm going on a little bit of a a tangent no I love that um I I think neurodivergence is a superpower to me yeah once I learned the term neurodivergence that changed everything for me because labeling myself as someone there was Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, because, yeah, it's like, it can be really affirming and really like, because then you're finally like, oh, okay, I'm not a broken neurotypical, I'm neurodistinct. Because there is so much emphasis around, like, thinking of it as a disorder, like, because we're so, and people don't even realize that, I didn't even realize that it's inherently ableist, the way of thinking, like, of the neurotypical is correct. Um, 
And you know what really bums me out is like it happens even with like and it happened with myself, you know, before I started digging into this world, like even and I think with you as well, as you were saying, even with neurodistinct people, we get conditioned to think of our neurodistinctness in a very negative lens. And and it's still like thinking of it in a positive lens doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge that we have struggles and that we need support. Um, but it's just like not associating, because I see this a lot because of the discourse in society. We're told like early on, like when we get the diagnoses, like or at least for me, we're conditioned to believe that autism represents just uh, impaired neuromotor function or that it represents just sensory processing disorder, that it represents, and then people think of it as a scale too because they think of it only as these certain more disabling traits um, instead of thinking of everything as a whole. Um, and I see that with ADHD too, and I see, I, I see that with like, I think most people out there associate ADHD with just executive dysfunction. But there's, and then of course, executive dysfunction is a big part of it, and it's the part that people need support for. Um, but it is, it's just, there's a spectrum. ADHD is also like a spectrum of so many different things, and there's so many positive things like creativity and hyperactivity, you know? There's like, and why aren't we talking? It's just been dreadfully crazy. It's just I love like, it. Yeah. I love But I think that's really good that you you're able to say like I'm hyper aware like this is how I am like yeah. and this is what I'll do with people now too like even if I'm not comfortable disclosing that I'm autistic I'll tell them I have a hard time with eye contact I have a hard time with like processing like and and then it makes them more understanding and then in return I can be a little more relaxed like okay I don't have to like mask so hard with this person yes. yeah yes I do find myself um, if I'm getting in a deeper conversation with a new person to disclose that like I I don't like saying ADHD but I do because mm -hmm. that describes me um, in a way that people will understand yeah even though, yeah, because they don't understand the the they don't understand it the way we do. Because they think, and that's why I hesitate with telling. I wouldn't just tell someone that I'm autistic and not really talk, have a little bit of a dialogue about it. Because right. if right. I just kind of tell them that and not really talk about it, they're gonna have. They're associating it with whatever preconceived notions right. of, that they have. Right. There's such a broad world. It's yeah. Such, the mm -hmm. neurodistinct people, the community is very diverse. Mm -hmm. very, yeah. Yeah. In, in spectrum, quote unquote, in levels, in, in you know function. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But again, we like don't really say high functioning anymore uh, because. You yeah, because it's, it's yeah, and it because it's it it's uh I think the main reason is that it invalidate it doesn't recognize masking, it ignores the fact that people mask. Right, that's mm -hmm. true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, 
my parents would always say, you know, you're just a fun-loving girl. Like, you're just, you know, you just, you know, like, they mm-hmm. make excuses. And I'm just like, no, no, no. Like, I struggle. Like, I realize that something's not right. Yeah. Like, I've always realized that something's not right. I had to fight yeah. to get help, but never did until I turned 18. I think there's a lot of, like, a lot of times the parents won't, uh, I think with a lot of people, there's like this hesitancy around disclosing like, oh, you know, um, getting the, disclosing a diagnosis. I think I used to think of it more like, oh, well, why wouldn't they? Because, you know, are they against it? But it's not even that. It's about, you know, them knowing that by them saying that or by them acknowledging that, that you'll be, or by you coming out, that you'll be a lot more exposed to prejudice. Um, so I, I, yeah. And so I think, you know, something very interesting that I was just reading about, or I just had been flying, coming across my radar is that Lionel Messi, there are many reports that he is autistic. Really? Yeah. He was diagnosed that, but then it's, see, it's one of those things. It's like there, there, you can find several articles. I found a few saying that he is, I found some in Spanish, some in Portuguese, Interestingly, when I go to Google and in English, you find some articles just talking about the speculation or saying that he might be, Um, but you know, like he was very shy, but he had these very, he was like very intelligent and precise. It's like you read, it's like, okay, he's, he's clearly neurodistinct, but then I read something about like, apparently like, cause the, the rumors had been going on for a while and apparently at one point, um, his mom, his parents, and his psychiatrist. My and this is just one source, so I don't even know how true this is. But his parents and his psychiatrist came out saying that it wasn't true, or that. But then, is it because are they saying that because it really wasn't true, or are they saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or are they saying it because they've chosen that they don't want people to know it's true, and that's yeah. And it's kind of a bummer because it's like I really wanted to. I kind of wish, like, now that he just won the World Cup, I kind of wish that it were out there and that it were publicly known, because then I could celebrate him and I could celebrate yes. for the community, exactly. and I could be like, see, because then, and that's what's so frustrating because like we need to change the narrative. We need to show oh, people that autistic people can be world champions, not like, yes. like yes. these. Like stereotypical, like you know, autistics played by neurotypicals that we see on TV. Um, yeah, I see celebrities coming out more with um, their neurodistinctness. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's I love to see that. I really do. Yeah. Um, because they're out there and they're masking. Mm-hmm. You know? They're masking. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and we're masking because we see them masking too, and yeah. we see them open up. We're like, fuck yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, can, I can create a whole new category for myself. Yeah. You know? I, I'm unique. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite thing is every single neurodistinct person is so unique. And I'd love to learn more about them. And because, again, the interest thing, they're so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Every one of them. It's like, and that's like what's so, like, now I really understand, like, the infinity, um, the infinity symbol, the multicolored infinity symbol, 
and how it really does represent the infin infinite ways that autistic people and neurodistinct people can present. Um, and it makes so much sense, and it's so much better than the puzzle piece, which I still see way too much of out there. It's crazy. It's like, and it, because it's so, not only is it, it's, it's literally, it came from the idea that autistic people are puzzling. And it used to have, like, of course, it was created by a neurotypical. What a shock. Um, it used to have, it literally, it was in the UK originally by the UK Autism Society. Um, and it had a, literally had a weeping child on, in, on the puzzle. It was, like, so ableist. It's already ableist. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, I can't. They just, yeah. they, like, removed that. And I, supposedly they thought it wasn't bad anymore. Um but it's like, and it, so not only is it like portraying this whole broken idea, um, but it's like ignoring autistic adults. It makes people think that autism is like this disease or condition that you only have in childhood. Because then you don't hear about autistic adults. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, conversations like this really, and especially our generation is really revolutionizing this whole concept by, you know, changing the narrative and talking. Yeah. And from mm -hmm. personal experience, from the experience of neurodistinct individuals rather than the experience of neurotypicals. Yeah. Neurodistinct yeah. People, mm -hmm. You know, um, that's very different. And, and it's just, again, really reaffirming, like you said. Yeah. 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 Um, so I have a couple uh, more, you know, to close off because I know we have to stop at 11.30, but... Um, what has been, and this is kind of a complex question too, it might take, you can take some time to think about it, but okay. what has been the most challenging part of the, and the, one of them is, you'll see, the next one is a lot more positive. What has been the most challenging part of this journey for you? This journey, life journey, or my This neurodistinct life journey. <laughs> um, I'm asking. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't do it myself. There, uh, there was no way. I mean, I was too hyper um, focused on trying to be perfect, quote unquote. Um, you know, again, I said, I, you know, I grew up very overweight. I struggled with weight my whole life, and that was a huge thing of trying to fit in too. Is like, you know, the trauma of body image, and like, um, also with with a layer of like severe anxiety and like, um, you know eventually developing psychosomatic symptoms that derived from my overthinking of my body and, um, you know, just trying to be liked by people was, like, my biggest thing yeah. since I never fit in in grade school. I think going into high school, I had, like, finally done all my research in person, you know, just mm -hmm. studying how kids would interact with each other, what would make them laugh. That was my biggest thing learning to make people laugh and caring for others and just giving them everything that they would need so that they would like me. And that's uh, pretty goddamn fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, like, the fact that we have to do that, yeah. or that we feel like we have to do that because of society right. around us. for others, mm -hmm. never again. Yeah. Never again. And that made me really take a step back from all my, you know, relationships, friendships, just, just to understand what am I doing? How do I... Like, it was a really hard switch to make. Like, how do I care for myself first? And what does that even look like? Because I was raised to, you know, worry about other people. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, I was, you know, 
disorders like bulimia and anorexia and being surrounded by, you know, you know, societally raised skinny people. Uh, I don't like to call them skinny, but, you know, just mm-hmm. people that were uh, viewed as skinny and just perfect bodied, um, which I was mostly surrounded by. I, again, I was the only big girl and uh, just having that uh, need to want to look like people, act like people and like seem like an American and like, you know, so, so eventually I like took on this whole like hilarious personality where I would just, you know, I still wasn't doing well in school, but I, I learned what would make people laugh more and people gravitated towards mm-hmm. that. And I was very giving and people gravitated towards that. And, you know, I was quote unquote popular in uh, high school because of all the things I was hyper focused on, like, um, you know, just being the person that people wanted me to be for them and like not being myself at all. Yeah. And I'm a very sensitive person. I, I love to talk deeply. I do love to make a lot of inappropriate jokes, like poopy jokes. Like I think poop jokes are hilarious. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's very true to me. <laughs> uh, I have very dark humor and I, I, I like to analyze a lot of things, which I would, you know, I, I mean, it would sometimes come out and my neurodistinct friends would like understand that more, but, um, it's the neurotypicals. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I have gotten, you know, a lot of friendships have been lost, mm. and I used to be sad about it, but I'm actually um, really grateful because I get to be myself now. Yeah. And I have a dog that loves me, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I still do have friendships. I'm just uh, more cautious with, you know, the love that I have to give because I feel yeah. like nervousing people have it's true and we don't people don't understand it and it's just another it's so sad like oh my god like and i'm i'm gonna i even decided i'm gonna do an episode on this soon but like the whole thing with empathy and i'm so tired of hearing that people with this narrative that autistic people don't have empathy and it's like no we we have more we actually have more emotional empathy than neurotypicals we Absolutely. just, we, we don't have as much cognitive empathy, which is like, we can't, we don't always know why the person is upset, but we know that they're upset. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and what I love about that is like, you know, I get a lot of support from my autistic peers. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think those are the people that stick with you the most yeah. when you're struggling. And I've noticed that, you know, a lot of neurotypical people, when like really tragic things would happen in other people's lives, they fucking fade out. They fade and out. That's, that's when I come in because I'm like, I want to, you are going through something. I feel it. I'm like very emotional. I'm like probably empathetic to a fault. It, like, that's mm-hmm. why I need to stay away from a lot of people because I'm like, I want to just help you. Like, sometimes Hyper I know empathy. what people mm-hmm. need before they do. And I'm just like, I know this pain. I want to help. Yeah. Um, and I have the same experience with, um, you know, autistic loved ones who, you don't always know how, but they always ask the questions that you want to be asked, you know, and they always stick around until you're yeah. feeling better. And I mm-hmm. literally, me, again, me and my cousin don't always speak the same language. And, you know, I think our, our distinctiveness kind of clashes sometimes. Mm. Um, but, you know, if push comes to shove, he is yeah because that's what we need sometimes it's like sometimes we just need someone to listen um and just yeah. to be there because a lot and i feel like and i don't want to blame the neurotypicals that do this because i know that it's like their way of 
comforting. I don't blame them. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> it's just because it's like sometimes they're very like, they'll be offering you suggestions or saying what you should yeah. do based on what they would do, based on how yeah. they feel. But it's yeah. not always helpful to you because yeah. it's like, and it's, sometimes it's like, oh no, but you just don't think of it like that. Just think of it like this. And I'm like, but I'm feeling what I feel. I'm thinking what I think. And yeah, sometimes I just need people to be like, I understand. I, yeah, like, you know, it's, and it's just, I think it's because it's, you know, just the way of like, there's not, not enough exposure to, to, to this kind of thinking. Like people, I think people are thought, in taught in society to um to like give advice so-called advice or whatever like i feel yeah. like they're taught that there's a certain way to show empathy or whatnot and it doesn't have to be um it doesn't always have to be like the same way um yeah, yeah. that's that's a beautiful gift i've learned from my autistic peers um because I've actually been guilty, and I know mm-hmm. myself, <laughs> because I, I, I've, I've always wanted to help people, and I grew up in a family where, you know, unsolicited advice is, like, all you can give, mm, <laughs> you can't yeah. get emotional support, mm-hmm. there's nothing else, and so I kind of grew up adjusting to that, and, like, wanting to help people in that way, yeah. until, you know, I realized, through therapy, and also through observing um, people who do it right, quote-unquote, um, that just need sometimes people just need a sounding board and it's a board and sometimes yeah. it's okay to ask in the beginning like what do you need from me because mm-hmm. like exactly. it helps me control my exactly like are you seeking more of a listener are you seeking more right. of like advice because it depends because sometimes people will be seeking advice and i don't know that that's what they want and like this right. reminds me of a scene that i had in the training it was actually my last scene and I really kind of struggled with it because it was like, it was like my mom was um, schizo- schizophrenic and it was like I had kind of seen her, like she was this very successful academic at one point and she like kind of went, like her mental health um, worsened over time and the scene was me going to check on her at her house. Um like because she um so i'm going to check in on her because i'm concerned and then she's like she's outside with no sweater it's 32 degrees it's like she's like drawing up all these papers and equations oh look my new project and she's so excited about it and then there's this moment at the end of the scene where she hands it to me and i'm like looking at it and i'm like trying to understand it and then I'm I'm like realizing oh my god this this is gibberish and 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 it's sad for me because it's like she used to be this great professor and renowned and everything and now she's like out here with no sweater in the cold doing this like gibberish and and then so she senses that I'm sensing like oh this isn't good and then she starts getting super down and I think what Jim, what our teacher wanted me to do, and I, it was hard for me because this is just the way I react. He wanted me to go comfort her right away. And because he's all like, this is your mom, you know, you should be going. And, and, but sometimes like, and I read about this later from another autistic person 
tweeting about this is that a lot of times the way we show empathy is to give the person space because we don't yes. know if that's what if they want space or not um yeah. and so we want to respect like okay maybe you know I'm here with you I but I want to give you your space I don't want to just you know go up to you but then I'm happy to do that if they want if that's what they want um and so like there was like that I remember like that kind of struggle and I didn't even realize what was going on at the time um and he even had me do it again and I did it again and it was like the other way but I think it didn't feel as natural yeah yeah but now I understand that and now I can think back and now you know it just make it ties in and it makes so much sense yeah change your autobiography a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i think something i had to realize in, in intense therapy is like learning other people's needs and learning my own needs because i think as neurodistinct people we just try to understand other people's needs so we can understand ours mm-hmm. but ours aren't the same as other people's exactly i have very specific needs and that was something I I realized, you know, in my relationship, which started halfway through the training. Um, it, it was tough. It was tough to express that, and it was tough to continue to express that. Yeah. Um, because our needs haven't been met. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up and mm-hmm. even in adulthood, they're not. Yeah. We're not. Even just expressing that sometimes can be. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it has this, like, shameful feeling. It, it does, because you've been conditioned to not... It's because we've been conditioned for so long to not show our needs. And then that's, like... That's why it's, like, such a shame, like, that people don't understand. It's not that we, like, where our autism is mild or that we're high-functioning. It's that we've mm-hmm. just been conditioned to mask. Because we... yeah. Sorry. No, no. I was also going to say rejection sensitivity. Like, that's mm-hmm. another thing. Like, expressing needs is because of the rejection we've experienced in our childhoods mm-hmm. and, like, just by society. Yeah. We expect that to be the response of people. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I know we we're, we're gonna wrap up soon because we have. Oh, a, I love this. Yeah. I could do this forever. We should do it again, maybe. This has been really I'm great. I'm so happy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is um, like the light of my life is like yeah. being surrounded by like-minded folks and, yeah. and individuals and getting to talk about our experiences that are yeah. different. I have one more final question to sure. close it off. What What has been the most gratifying part of this journey for you? learning how unique I am. Yes. I mean, I am such a special individual, mm-hmm. which is, like, really hard for me to even say out loud or, or even accept. I love bigger. My heart is bigger. My thoughts are running wild. Um, and I think that's beautiful because I have so many ideas. I have so many goals. I have so many interests. And my interests continuously change. Um, I can engage with people that... Um, are also interested. I'm very honest. I fucking mm-hmm. love being honest. Yeah. I fucking love honesty back. And I think that's one of my favorite parts. I think creativity and honesty, mm-hmm. and even though impulsivity is kind of like, you know, the best of both mm-hmm. worlds, like sometimes it can be fun and sometimes it can be um, stressful. Um, I think those are just true gifts. Yeah. And I think, again, neurodistinct people have 
Mm-hmm. More gifts than 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 you honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel like honesty. I like we talked a little bit about earlier. It's like it's so valuable, and people like uh, people don't like because it's like this whole people. Don't, some people are just not honest enough. I. That's what I wish. And it's crazy. Like we, we get called disordered, but like we're so honest, we're so direct and straightforward. And it's like our communication, because it's all like communication deficits, communication deficits. To me, it feels like neurotypicals have communication deficits. They do. Yeah. They mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Um, they do. Yeah, it does. It feels very fake. Right, it feels like right. yeah, we're we're like one of the few authentic people living in this fake world. Yeah, there's a lot of us too, and that's what I love. There I is. Love, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I spot someone that's acts a bit odd, and I love okay, I love the word weird my whole life. And yeah. That's something I prize myself mm-hmm. on. I, when somebody calls me normal, I'm like, please don't ever say that. Even as a kid, I'd be mm-hmm. like, I'm weird. You know. Yeah. And I'd be like, my mom said that's special, even though she never did. I just wish she did. Um, you know, I'd always say things like that because mm-hmm. it was just foreshadowing my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I was trying to understand myself, and I always kind of did. I just, yeah. I strayed away from who I really was, and I'll never do that again. I'll, mm-hmm. I might need help, um, you know, finding myself again because the world is complicated and mean and fake. But yeah. I will always have these teachings and these, uh, you know, lessons from therapy, from other beautiful extraordinary neurodistinct individuals I'm just so grateful for like having this growing community me too for sure that's been like for me too like the most gratifying part for sure one of them is this community and discovering this community and being able to communicate with neurodistinct other neurodistinct people the way we communicate and yeah just like finding us all finding each other like, it's been really great. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, once again, I wanted to thank you for coming on. This has been really great. Um, I hope we can do it again in the near future. Um, yeah, because I always like having other neurodistinct people on. George, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, thank you for giving me the platform to talk, to connect. Um, I love, I absolutely I'll be listening and thank you again for this beautiful opportunity. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, George. Thanks. All right. Um my my listeners know I'm I'm awkward with goodbyes, but uh I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um stay tuned for the next one and I'll see you next time.